first of all, within NSVR, you have different flavors. So now we focus very much on the technology to get it up and running. But we also discussed before to have, you know, uh, to transform the industry as such. If you really want to reap the benefit of NFAI and really come to the time to market, it means that you have to do this in the continuous integration, continuous deployment mode, which telcos are not doing today. Uh, we are not doing that as an industry, right? We have quite long release cycles. We test and then you test a lot before then. Welcome to another episode of Transmissions from Tomorrow, the show that gives you an inside route to the people driving the digital transformation of business and technology in the world of telecommunications. And I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. And today I have the pleasure of being joined in the studio by Lars Martinson. Hi, Lars. How are you? Hi, Des. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. Now, Lars, you're the Vice President and Head of Solution Area Cloud and NFVI. You also head up Ericsson Silicon Valley operation. Um, just give us a little bit of insight into kind of uh, what, I guess, primarily the role of vice president of head of solution area cloud and NFE means in the first place. No, so I think that what what Ericsson have done and we have done is that we have merged uh, our product and services unit in July last year. And uh, uh, that means that we have combined uh, product and services to the same unit. So this is a great opportunity for me to build solutions, hence the name Solution Area. So really what we do, anything that has to do with the cloud, be it for telco, media, or anything else that we now develop our solutions for, it sits then from a platform point of view within my Solution Area. So, right. so that's the, the short of it. Products and services, building solutions for this area. That's an exciting role. Now, you also have the uh, the challenge of heading up the uh, Ericsson uh, business unit inside Silicon Valley. Tell us a little about what that actually encompasses. Mm-hmm. So what we do in Silicon Valley is that we have several organizations that are present there. So my my job there is more to keep the site together, to make sure we have a site theme, then the different organizations have their respective role to do. In addition to that, of course, is to be the face and interface with the ecosystem and the community as such. So I think here we have a... a um, uh, very good situation where we have an experience center and we have an open air where we can bring partners in and we actually have partners that are renting space from us putting their offices in there uh, in a way that we can have a collaborative area so it's it's both a traditional ericsson but also a, a an approach to build an ecosystem we have a smartphone lab and so forth so um, that's a very good way to meet customers and partners uh, in there. And my job there is to keep it together, make sure we have an identity and inter- interface towards the community as such. Now, you've had an interesting background, and I'd love to just uh, uh, pause and, and step back a bit for a moment, just get to know you personally. Where are you from originally? So I grew up south of Stockholm in a place called Södertälje. Uh, it's a basically a, a factory town. We make pharmaceuticals and trucks for Scania. So uh, I grew up there. Uh, I quickly... Uh, got interested in technology and um, went on to graduate from the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm then uh, with, a, with an electrical engineering uh, as the key point uh, where my master's degree. You mentioned you got excited about technology. Was there a particular thing that uh, sort of like a, a eureka moment where you looked and there was one thing? I mean, for myself, I was like... Uh, the age of 14, I remember finding the Commodore 64 and, and just realizing computers were where it wanted to go. Was there a particular thing in technology that you really jumped on or was it just the general sense? Of- Actually, no, I think it. it, it um, uh, I've always been interested in, in science and how things work and, and try to figure out, you know, 
anything that you know why does it work like that and what can you do with it but i think in this case uh, when i graduated with when i went into university uh, this is when mobile telephony just happened as i think from one part the technology was interesting but also you could already then see and understand what the mobile telephony would do right uh, in terms of freedom new things i mean you know just being able to access people in different ways. So I think I was intrigued not only by the technology, but also about what you actually can do with it. And that has been a red thread uh, throughout my... Uh, I mean, if you look at my purpose today, it is partly around that as well. One of the most um, uh, rewarding moments that I have is that when I lived in Southeast Asia, I still remember going to Myanmar the first time before they had, you know, the embargo was left. And I walked on the streets and said, there's something really strange here. And this is, you know, late, yeah, it's five, six years ago now. Uh, you know, and I, and I realized there's no one carrying a phone. Right. People were not doing the phones. <clears throat> and then you realize what you could do then as, a, as Ericsson and as an industry, you come into this country that's been, you know, governed by military for so long. You go in, they realize that, you know, we actually can give, create new economic prosperities. If you look in Bangladesh, you know, people have a phone, they can support the whole family on the business to do on that phone. So I think that's, that's quite rewarding. I guess that goes back to, uh, even I didn't see exactly those use cases, but if that's, that's where it goes back to for me. I think what you can do with technology and how it can change lives was probably what drew me there in the, in the beginning. It's interesting you say that because I, I was uh, talking to a gentleman who's the CIO, COO of a company called Techcom Bank in Vietnam recently at an event in the U.S., and he had a very similar uh, take on things, and that is that you know, a company like Vietnam, a country like Vietnam, with something like 93, 94 million people, um, he was watching how banking and telco and things like that were, were emerging in this, this new market, and the 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 I guess the the uh, light speed leap forward that they were experiencing, where they had no bank account to a bank account, no phone to a phone, <laughs> no access to technology, jumping into getting not just technology but information. Uh, sort of that zero to hero thing, and I guess you, you've obviously picked up on that thread very early on, and it's 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 held you in good stead, and you're certainly leading the the charge on that now. It's interesting that even the West, though, would would you say it's a fair comment to say that even in the Western modern world now, we've sort of gone from that whole, I guess, desktop PC to laptop PC to a smartphone that's basically a computer in our pocket, to wherever we go now, we are connected, and and you know, looking things up on Wikipedia is a normal thing, whereas once upon a time. That was seen as sort of, you know, I guess, you know, you know the Jetsons uh, thing on TV that, you know, flying cars and computers in your pocket. Yeah. No, but I think, and, and um, uh, as someone said, right, the pace of change has never been as slow as it is right now. And I think that that's, that's what we're having in this space as well. And that's why I think, I mean, you can argue I started with Ericsson in 1994 and, and I was only supposed to be working for two years. But here I am 24 years later uh, and I've had a fantastic both job and life linked to this, right? And I think this is the journey. I mean, in the beginning, there was voice and SMS. And now you can, as you say, right, basically do anything you want with a phone. And that, I think, is a, it's a fantastic opportunity to have been part of, of such a journey. Yeah, it must be exciting. And I don't think it has stopped. No, it hasn't stopped yet. We're just, it's just going to continue. The tip of the iceberg, right? It's like, it must be exciting yeah. to jump out of bed every morning and know that, you know, even with a lifetime of a career and path in the space, we're still really just scratching the surface. We were yeah. talking earlier about some of the challenges that, that the market's facing and so forth, and you had a couple of interesting comments I'd like to delve into, if that's okay. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. particularly in, in uh, not just your role as the VP of, of that whole, I guess, solution around cloud, but also, you know, you're working with IoT, you're working with a whole range of things, particularly uh, network function virtualization. 
what are some of the challenges you're seeing in the market now? Not not even just limited to the North American market. I'd love to know a bit about what's happening in North America, particularly given you're there. But generally, I mean, there must be some really fundamental changes you're seeing now that the telcos and the operators are facing with their core business and also some of the technologies that they've got in, in play. No, but I think the industry as such, I think this goes across the globe, uh, even though you have different cycles in, that are slightly out of sync with each other. But in general, I would say that <clears throat> the telco industry was blessed very early, on, very early, early on with a very strong killer application, being voice, and then right. further SMS. Then that you have been able to motivate all your investments on, and uh, I think those days are gone. When we look forward right now, for sure, we have mobile broadband, which is a foundation for everything. But you know, do we want to be an industry that becomes kind of the utility provider? You know, if you want to call it like that, uh, for mobile broadband, or do you want to do something more? With it, and, and I think for sure, with 5G coming around, around the corner, uh, distribute the cloud and so forth, it is opportunity with a low latency, not only low but low and stable latency, I should say, and the mobility. There are definitely things here on the table that, from an operating point, operator community point of view, and hence the industry point of view, we have an opportunity to do something more with. And I think that's what's really exciting looking forward. What, what will we do with these opportunities? That must be an interesting experience to walk into the room and have these telcos sort of, you know, have these frowns on their faces and all of a sudden you can light the room up and say, well, we've got some great news for you. What, what does that kind of conversation look like? How does that flow from that moment when they realise that things aren't all doom and gloom? No, but I think, uh, I, don't, I think the awareness is there. Uh, everyone acknowledged this. I think the question is how and what to do, right? Uh, we, I would say, of course, it's a different flavor, but from the different customers discussed with, I think everyone recognizes the opportunity. Everyone recognizes the need to do it. Uh, but I think it's just a matter of how to do it. And I think it's a fundamental change of the industry, not only from technology point of view. That might be the catalyst event or the opportunity maker, so to speak. But really, this is a new business model. Uh, you talked about, you mentioned IoT before. If you combine these two things with each other, for certain type of industries, transport, you might have, you know, in a rural area, uh, it would be very beneficial for you to be able to check in on your trucks. Uh, today, these type of transport companies or transport industries don't get that access because the network are not built out. Because the operator with the current business model, they will not build it out there because it doesn't make sense because they don't make any money on it. And uh, what type of business model do you need to see in a way that you can actually enable IoT use cases or 5D use cases in that space uh, for industries like this? But then you might not charge a megabit per second anymore. I was talking to a colleague the other day, just came back from India, and uh, he bought a month-long phone plan for when he was over there for a couple of weeks. It cost him the equivalent of three Australian dollars. He was getting 1.5 gig of data a day. Um, and, and it was really yeah. fast, you know, and it was interesting that, that the telco provider was, was selling an outcome uh, and not worrying about the detail of how much data you're using and how many minutes you're online. They were really looking at giving you a complete service. And it's interesting you mentioned the IoT, for example. I mean, you know, we've been bolting things to the internet for a long time, and then we started <laughs> bolting them to the phone network. Um, I guess there's a, there's, there must be a big transition for these phone companies to shift from as you said, that killer app of voice and SMS to now where they're more of a multimedia style company. Do you see that being driven from inside the business or do you think that's a customer demand thing? I think it's both. Um, um, I think, I mean, here, what, one trend I see is that the operators are not, uh, they're not homogeneous as a group anymore. You, you see people taking different paths here, doing different things. 
And I think you will see that, you know, moving on, on a stronger pace uh, going forward. Um, but but um, I would say from an inside point of view, it's fairly technology driven. Uh, while you have the others then from a customer driven cases, maybe not so much technology, but more use cases uh, that you're after. But, but uh, the strongest pace is still around technology if I have to choose, I would say. Yeah, well, I guess the, you know, the technology, I remember um, an interview with Steve Jobs uh, at one point, he was being interviewed by, uh, I forget the person's name, but some famous uh, American journalist. And the question was along the lines of, you know, how, how, um, how do you always keep ahead of what the customers uh, demand and want? And Steve Jobs said, well, actually, the customer doesn't know what they want until we tell them. Uh, no. And I think that's often the case, as you're saying, that, you know, the technology is being developed by the likes of Ericsson. People like yourself and your teams are, are at the bleeding edge pushing that capability into the operators and the telcos and they make it available. One thing you said earlier on, though, is that the, the use cases have shifted and that is that, you know, and, and certainly in, 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 I guess, you know, sort of tr- emerging markets that are coming out of third world into sort of joining the, the modern world. But it's, it's also probably the case in sort of the North American market that people have gone from, you know, just picking up the phone and getting a dial tone now to... Uh, it's it's a full immersion of the device in their pocket now that you know we're getting SMSs, we're getting video calls, we're getting voice calls, we're getting yep. you know emails. Uh, that must be an interesting cultural shift for organisations to come to grips with as well. As much as as you said, it's like there's a technology drive to get that into the hands of people and and come up with a a, a service offering and pricing. But it must be an interesting cultural shift for people to sort of think about where that's going. What you know, what's kind of next? Is it a phone anymore, or is, as you said, is it a utility? And if so, what does that look like? Um, what sort of, what sort of findings or experiences are you seeing out in the market now in your space? Particularly given that you're at sort of you know when you head up the Ericsson Silicon Valley operation, uh, Silicon Valley is seen as sort of being at the bleeding edge of these things. Uh, what kinds of interesting trends are you seeing coming out of that market, particularly you think might flow around the world? No, but I think that, that um, as you say, right, you put out a new technology and, and what Steve Jobs said as well, right, that, that um, uh, the customers don't really know what they want until we tell them. I think the main thing I see, and that's probably also what comes out of Santa Silicon Valley today as well, is that it isn't one thing that comes out as the uniform as the killer application. If you take five years as an example right now, that for sure will be a better mobile broadband. Fair enough, it will be, no issue. Uh, but what more do to do with it? Uh, and then I think to, to do more use cases that are using that latency to either help an industry do things in a different way, enable, it's part of the digitization journey, of course, but, but just enable new things to be done. You cannot motivate investment with one use case. So it's an ecosystem of 20, 30, 40, 50 maybe use cases that you need to do together. And that is a difference compared to before. And I think what, what I see today uh, is from that perspective coming out of Silicon Valley, a lot of people with ideas for one use case that are good, for that, but they, they rely on that the infrastructure is there. They rely on that there is a mobile network with low latency, they almost take it for granted, right? And then you can say, okay, but have you ever driven up to Lake Tahoe? You don't have mobile coverage the whole way, so what are you going to do then? I think the trend I see is that there's a lot of use cases, particularly for certain industries that are really good, uh, that take the infrastructure for granted. And for us as an infrastructure provider, then we have to flip it around. What more can we do than just be a mobile broadband provider with this? And there I think you have the choice for us as an industry. How do we create those ecosystems and create that space? Because it means that the network needs to be different compared to today. 
Is it fair to say that we're shifting also towards the sort of, you know, what people talk about edge computing? You know, the telco infrastructure historically has often been a case of picking up the handset, getting a dial tone, going through copper, ending up at a centralized exchange of some form and then routing back out. Um, but realistically, these days, we're sort of moving to more of a mesh network. Is, is that going to solve some of the challenges you're talking about? No, but I mean, when, when, to, to use the low latency for, from, from that 5D provides for the use case, you need a distributed cloud and yeah. you need the edge computing sites for that. Yeah. So 5D and distributed cloud kind of go together and these use cases will demand that you have a better distribution of the, of the uh, compute platforms as well, if you like. No, and that will be, that the use cases will sort out themselves. But to build that platform, to build that distributed cloud, um, will not be able to do with the, you know, the, the normal math or business calculation just saying that I have one use case that supports it that motivates the investment. It's a bit of a leap of faith that you create a space for people to put their applications on and, and then you get going with that. And of course, this is you can see what, what, what the big cloud providers have done in the public cloud today. Um, and, and obviously they will try to reach out. But then you come back to this, what we said before, right? If you want the low latency and you require the mobility, uh, you need to be in the mobile network to be able to do that. So I think there is some, you know, from a network point of view, the merge between distributed sites or distributed cloud or distributed data center, whatever word you want to use, with the mobility is where the, the sweet spot for this industry is if we can uh, find a way to make money on it and business out of it. I guess that's the key, isn't it? That uh, And it's one of those things where in many cases, I think the telcos have certainly had experience with the likes of sales at Ericsson where they've had to build it and then they will come. The difference here is I imagine that, as you said, that the challenge now is you know building out the infrastructure, not knowing fully what the use cases are and not knowing fully exactly. where the market's going, but also you know having to yes. kind of take a bet on it. But I guess it's fair to say that um, with this kind of thing, particularly with 5G and, and probably a shift away from the traditional internet to more of an industrial internet type of connectivity, that there's no question that IoT is a thing and we're, we're putting sensors on everything. But even you know, when we think about smartphones in our pockets, in my mind, I've always sort of seen the smartphone as the original IoT device. It's a sensor of all these things. It's just that it was connected to one network. Um, but eventually we'll be plugging things on bridges and, as you said, you know, cars and trucks and, and you know, when, yep. I mean, when the Airbus, uh, sorry, when the um, uh, Boeing 787 first came out, I remember reading that something like 6,000 sensors in the wing and it was creating like half a terabyte of data per flight. Yep. And I remember doing the math is like uh, 87,400 flights a day um, in the domestic airspace alone. Uh, it's about half a terabyte of data. So I did the math, went 87,400 flights a day, half a terabyte. That's 43 petabytes of raw data a day coming out of this IoT flying through the sky. We can't physically copy that across to some centralized data center. We have to think about moving the compute to the airplane, right? And I'm sure there's other use cases like that. Um, as a bit of a side uh, step, tell us a bit about the disruption that we've seen with cloud. I mean, so there's been a shift to delivering uh, the telco capability where instead of having dedicated servers and routers and switches and so forth, we've got, I guess, you know, the cloudy model of, of physical infrastructure being virtualized with software-defined infrastructure, and you're doing a lot of focus on network function virtualization, and particularly the, the um, NFVI of, of sort of the infrastructure supporting that. Give us some insight into kind of what you're doing there and where that's leading us. Mm -hmm. So I think what's going on with the NFVI piece, to me, actually, is the first step, what we just spoke about. So what we do today is that we virtualize the network functions, meaning the packet core, the, the voice, and so forth, right? And we're building then a 
cloud, you can say, telco cloud, in a central data center that will do this. So we will have a, a virtualized function and a stack that supports that with an SDN and so forth. And that we're doing today to basically uh, enable the operator to, yeah, of course, lower the operational cost uh, and, and get a more flexible environment in place. Uh, and over time, then, this will merge together with, with the IT side, media workloads and so forth, so they can build the cloud that takes care of the total workload they have. I do think that you will see different type of clouds because you have different type of requirements, how you want to access stuff and storage and so forth. Uh, but for me, NFI is just a starting point, very much cost-driven, uh, cost-out-driven. It is a question about time to market to quicker be able to launch new services by taking on new software quicker than before. But that is the second priority today. If I look across the globe, this is mainly done to, to drive out cost. However, I think what we do in this space right now, the solution we're building around now NFI will be the platform that we also build the distributed cloud on. So the same principles we use here, the same type of networking and so forth, we will then just by extending to new type of sites, uh, that might be geographically, of course, uh, they might have to be in a rough condition, so they need to be NABS compliant and so forth, uh, and all the way out to the edge then. But the kind of cloud infrastructure or the architecture, so to speak, we're set today. So short answer, the NFI is to support the current virtualization of the network to drive out cost and improve time to market, but also is the first step to actually build the distributed cloud to enable all these new use cases that we talked about. I like that, and, and I guess they're the, they're the fundamental challenges we've got to face because there's this huge desire to, from a business point of view to, to kind of reduce time to value from a service delivery point of view, but also we've got people worrying about the cost because they've already been through a number of generations of very physical and large infrastructure sunk costs going to the, the, the cable and the ground and the, the you know, everything from antennas on towers to routers and switching servers and data centers. They don't necessarily, um, they can't afford the time or the dollars to go through that process, but also, I guess, the way that services are delivered now that, you know, you need to be able to instantiate a capability almost instantly and then let it deliver, you know, whether it's a voice call or a, or, or some sort of data moving across the network and then just die uh, instead of going from that transition for what we used to call pets, where we used to build machines and love them and hug them and not want them to die, to now we treat infrastructure like cattle, where we breed it, we, we make it live, and then we let it die naturally and go away. Um, and if, if NFVI is sort of the first step, what, what are some of the next big steps you see? If we've, if we've sort of gone to the point where with the cloudy capability, we've virtualized some of our network functions around routing, switching, firewalling, security, packet switching... Uh, where does it go from there? What are the next natural steps, do you think, from NFVI onwards uh, as far as the telcos and operators go? No, so I think, first of all, within NFVI, you have different flavors. So now we focus very much on the technology to get it up and running. But we also discussed before to have, you know, uh, to transform the industry as such. If you really want to reap the benefit of NFVI and really come to the time to market, it means that you have to do this in the continuous integration, continuous deployment mode, which telcos are not doing today. Uh, we are not doing that as an industry, right? We have quite long release cycles. We test and then you test a lot before then to, to go from that into continuous deployment. So I think the next step, having said what I just said, the next step is to go from having implemented technology around NFVI to actually transform the ways of work and we do with it uh, in a way that we actually come to continuous deployment and really can get to the time to market of that. Once we have done that, or in parallel with doing that, probably more likely, we will also build out the edge sites, uh, as we spoke about. 
And then you will see different type of execution environments. Today it's very much OpenStack based and so forth. I think over time, uh, for sure, you will see containers and it will evolve after that. So you will see a different technology evolution per layer uh, that will have its own pace, so to speak. Where I do think this will go after an API, and that is the promise or the hope or, or the opportunity that I spoke about before, is that we use this infrastructure to actually take on new type of workloads on the network. You mentioned the the the... the the Boeing with, with all the sensors on the wing, right? When they land at an airport today and they have whatever, one terabyte or two terabyte, doesn't really matter, right? If they want to do some uh, analytics to be run to that data, they probably want to do it on site. So A, they don't have to transport the data somewhere else because that's gonna be expensive with that amount and they probably don't have the time either, right? So <clears throat> there's so many use cases that, that you can use a distributed cloud for uh, that are either fixed or mobile. And it's just, you know, the imagination is just set in the limit here. I think that what we're doing now inside the operators around the, the, the virtualization is the first step to that, at least for the mobility use cases as well. It does require a significant shift of thinking, though, in my experience. And, and you touched on that before with, you know, the operators have got to think about how they're going to roll out capability and then they have to go through that whole, you know, continuous development and continuous improvement process. There must be a big cultural and behavioral shift in these organizations where they're used to doing sort of five to 10 year rollouts. Now they're having to sort of do five yeah. to 10 month rollouts and eventually it'll get even shorter than that. Yeah, I think it's not only with operators. I think it is on the vendor side as well. We as an industry have to change the way we do things. And we, you know, and this, this is not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a slow, steady progress. So we have today engagements with several customers that we do this, and we have come pretty far. But if I look at the vast majority, no, we have not. And, and you know, in some cases, because you know, they don't really don't want to or don't see the benefit of, or in some cases, we might not be ready for it either. But yeah, it is definitely the largest transformation, I think, is around people and ways of working. Right. There, there is a big shift into that. I mean, I, you know, we talk about that in sort of the modern world uh, around sort of, you know, the, the new way of working and the new types of work. Uh, but I, I also keep in mind uh, something you said earlier on a couple of times, and that was that um, there's some opportunities in, in different parts of the world where technology hasn't necessarily been available to them. And it also reminds me of the commitment that uh, the likes of Ericsson have made to the UN seven sustainable development goals. And that is that, you know, fundamental things like no poverty, no hunger, and, and you know, just general good health and well-being the mobile technology in particular is like a leapfrog into that space and and that isn't just uh, undeveloped countries i mean that happened i mean here in australia you can see the difference between small businesses that are now operating out of vans uh driving around doing things like quotes on yeah. site you know mobile printers sending pictures back all the way through to you know remote health where you know australia is like the sixth largest piece of dirt on the planet we've only got 23 million people but they're very widely dispersed and and I, you know, yep. you've been here yourself so you know the country um, things like, uh, you know, getting appendicitis or a pain in your, in your side somewhere in, in the middle of nowhere in Australia, that's not really something we can diagnose right now other than doing a phone call. But with what you're doing with rolling out uh, the, the sort of, you know, cloud capabilities at the network level and edge computing, uh, NFE, et cetera, we're at the point now where we should be able to put devices out there to to take remote medicine and remote health and, and send high-resolution images back uh, so that the device is out of the regional area but someone centrally can do that. I mean that that's a that's a game changer in how you do business. It's a game changer in how you live. Um, I guess you know, one of the things I'd love to do with you um, uh, before we wrap up soon is, you know, if I was to sort of say to you, look, given all the things we've talked about, if I was to hand you a virtual crystal ball, um, 
where do you see some of these things taking us? If we, if we put the telco side of piece, the technology side of things, even the business side of things, we focus on the humanities piece. Where are some of these big things taking us as a, as a population on this planet? I mean, we, we've got kids running around with social media on one side. We've got Netflix and, and video streaming. But put all those modern things apart, there must be some really big fundamental shifts that you're seeing. If you were to gaze into a virtual crystal ball, what are some of those big fundamental shifts you're seeing around you know, what we're doing with aeroplanes gathering data, ships floating around the planet, autonomous devices? There must be some really big insights that you've got access to that, that sort of give you a view to kind of where we're going to be in the next you know, five to ten years with the space once we shift out of sort of being, the, as you said, the classic killer app of voice and, and some SMS and data to what are some of the other big things that are coming? No, I think, and, and um, actually I take a slightly different view of this. And if I go back to you asked me why I went on to this industry and technology, it, it was because there's so many things you can do with it. <clears throat> and I think that is still uh, definitely true. We don't really know. We, we, you can't really set the limit and predict what's going to come. There's so huge possibilities with innovations around this that it's you know very tough to imagine where this is going to go. I think that you know you can take different perspectives. If you take one from a, you know, from a uh, democracy point of view, if you like, this technology and the way to communicate has already today, but will continue to tear down boundaries where it's going to just be impossible for the world. You know, you can't control information. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's it's just to continue. Now we see things going on, and certain countries still try to do certain things. And they have huge machines trying to do that. For sure you can. But overall, I think it's going to be impossible to, to hold this way back. Another one will be then in terms of economic growth. I think we touched upon it several times during this chat here is that <clears throat> things that were not able to get scale of economics before were not able to do for different reasons. It's possibly to be done. And, and that's just creativity living that. You mentioned the kind of mom and pop stores out of the vans. They have everything in the van. They don't need an office. right? That's one perspective. Uh, I've seen hands-on, you know, opportunities in Bangladesh where, where, as I said in the beginning, people, you know, supplying a whole family what they can do with their phone. That's just going to continue uh, across the globe. Uh, so, so I think that, you know, where I see this this uh, uh, possibility with the technology and this use case, it, I see a a a, a um, great opportunity to drive economic growth. It will be many small that combine, not so many big. That's, that's maybe my conclusion of this. We've talked about the use cases and killer applications before. It will give an opportunity to do stuff uh, for the, uh, as, a, as a smaller group of people or small business and entity compared to before. Right? You, will have, you will enable kind of the infrastructure for those to do business with. Then if you look at use cases, one can only speculate, uh, and we, we haven't really touched on machine intelligence and analytics today. Obviously, those will pave into this in, in an extreme way uh, as well. But, but um, uh, I think it, it's really those two main areas that I still see the, the, the main thing for me in this. The things you can do with this to drive, to drive economic growth and, and help people find new ways to do business uh, and also to, to, to see how it helps democracy. I think those are the two fundamental things. There's some powerful thinking there. I do like that idea. I've just written it down, the uh, many small, not so many big, because we've seen that with, um, you know, publishing industry, for example. You know, not many people fully understood what blogging was going to do, but, you know, the, the number of, I guess, very big newspapers and publishers um, who were faced with the challenge of, 
of millions of people creating a blog and you know there was different levels of quality of blog but but these days you know you've got Huffington Post or a world leading publication but started from a blog concept uh and and I guess we're now seeing YouTubers uh turn into yeah. TV stations right and and making millions exactly. of it and I guess that you know we as you said we've only even seen the tip of the iceberg no. and stuff right there's some really big changes going to come out there at, at human level yep yep you did touch on a couple of things there, just to, before we wrap up, if you don't mind. I mean, you're obviously seeing some of these things with machine intelligence and artificial intelligence and, and that space. Uh, what are your thoughts around kind of where that's going to take us? I mean, the, I like this idea of, of many small, not so many big. I guess uh, machine learning in particular and certainly general artificial intelligence, um, surely that's going to exacerbate that opportunity to have one person now with <clears throat> lots of power in their hands uh, versus uh, a few with with the power. Yeah, and I think you will see that to be a natural integrated part of any application. Uh, right now it has its own value, its own merits, and it will continue to do so. But, but I, I foresee it's going to become a natural piece of everything you do. You will just expect to have the data for your decision-making. It doesn't really matter what type of process or decision you're about to take. You're going to expect that you want to have that data available. And, and um, yeah, and that's just going to be a, an integrated part of everything we do. Yeah, I like that. I guess we've many people forget that when they pick up a phone, they've either got, you know, with Apple, they've got Siri in their pocket. With Google, they've got the Google Assistant. And now we're seeing Alexa and others come around. And you know, a number of people I talk to, I sort of ask them, you know, what their impression of, of the type of support they get from these, these smart bots. And often they look at me as if, like, what am I talking about? And I pick up the phone and say, you know, Siri, what's the time? Uh, and and I'm always surprised that so few people are, people are using that yet. And yet it's been out for a decade, let's say. Um, there must be this tsunami of change coming for people when, uh, you know, we're not necessarily talking to the phones anymore. The phones are talking to us. Do you think the telcos mm. are ready for that shift? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I think that, that, I mean, the role, I don't, I mean, as you said, there's so many things going on. And, and, and I think it will be a combination. Someone need to package this and make it easy to use for the, for, for the consumers or, or the small enterprises. We kind of touched upon it already, right? Uh, it will include machine intelligence, analytics, whatever you like, right? And package that and, and make it available for people to use. If the telcos is doing the right part to do that, yeah, I believe they have definitely a role to play, but it will also be providing maybe a platform providing a, 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 an API and, and, and development kit, and then people do it on top of the platform they provide. Lars uh, Martinson, uh, Vice President and Head of uh, Solution Area Cloud NFE and also Head of uh, Ericsson Silicon Valley, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you.